1: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to Episode 192 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is legacies and family caregiving. When we talk about legacies, we so often think of wills, money and real estate. But is is there something else that is a legacy? What about legacies of people who are considered disabled, who aren't wealthy and don't have real estate to leave in their wills because they haven't been able to get well-paying jobs? Are they expected to have legacies? What about people who are old, who have made their wills and who are now in the remaining years of their lives? Are they expected to have further legacies? And what about adults in midlife? Are they expected to have legacies? And what about children? Are they expected to have legacies? And what about our own legacies? These are all questions that need answering, which is why our topic, Legacies and Family Caregiving, is really so important. And to discuss it, our guest is Judith Snow. Now, Judith has the Master of Arts degree. She's a social innovator and an advocate for inclusion communities that welcome the participation of wide diversity of people. She's a visual artist and founding director of Laser Eagles Art Guild, which makes creative activity available through all kinds of personal assistance to all kinds of people. She has a background of 25 years of research design and implementation, most notably working with the University of New Hampshire's Institute on Disability. She's trained interviewers to perform in inclusive community environments and participated in analysis and report writing with the National Home of Your Own Alliance, a 23-state technical assistance program funded through the U.S. Administration for Developmental Disabilities. And Judith does all of this work out of a background of being labeled disabled. So welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you. How are you? Good, thank you very much. Now, Judith, (laughs) I want to to start by asking you to tell us, please, your personal story.
3: Sure. Uh, I'm now 63, and I was born in 1949 with a very severe form of spinal muscular atrophy. And people are usually expected to die within the first two years of their life when they have this condition. So I grew up my entire life expecting, or at least being told by lots and lots of experts that I would not have a very long life. And after graduating with my Master of Arts at York University, I ended up in a chronic care hospital because those were the only ways at that time that I could get the support. I need to deal with my body's weaknesses. And I almost died there, but uh, to cut a long story short, I became the first person in Canada to get funding for personal assistance so that I could live and work in the community. And I credit that, along with my huge willpower, for being the reason why I'm still here, actively participating as an artist and an advocate.
2: Judith, I want you to tell us more about your career and particularly the successes you've achieved.
3: Well, after I became able to live and work in the community back in 1980, I was very curious about why it wasn't some people, the people that had supported me to get this funding, the people I call my support, my support circle. I was curious about why they could understand that I could be a full participant when so many people... Believe that I was just a medical failure and waiting to die and uh, so I spent much of my career since 1980 researching and developing ways for people who are labeled severely disabled whether it be intellectual disability or physical ways for us to build relationships And get housing and get support dollars and get jobs and to get other interesting things going in our lives. That's where that job with the uh, UNH came. That was a housing initiative where in 23 states we worked on ways for people with intellectual disabilities Mm -hmm to own their own homes, and it was a very successful project.
2: You're obviously very proud of that, and rightly so. Now, there's another role that I want to ask you about, (laughs) and that's your role as a family caregiver. Please tell us about that.
3: Well, um, my father was always very important and interesting to me because it was his way of looking at me, and my mother's too, but my father articulated it much more than my mother did. His way of looking at me when I was very, very young was that I would be a fully participating citizen, and he did lots to make sure that I got an education. And then I got to argue with him about the way the world is and lots of stuff. Anyway, as he got into a retirement place and then a nursing home himself, I was determined that I would be part of keeping a dialogue going with him about what it was like for him to live in a support situation. And um, I wasn't his only family caregiver, by the way. My sister and her husband played a very active role in his support, as did my brothers. But I think I was the one that um, was really curious about how he would respond to being at a caregiving I mean, a care-receiving situation. And uh, I was amazed at how vital a role he took in being on the Residence Council and various research projects and really dialoguing with the, uh, the personal care people to get to know their story and talk to them about how they experienced working with elderly people. And we used to talk about all that quite a bit several times a month, and daily as he got to the point of failing in his final days.
2: Tell me a a little bit more about what you mean by his final days and the conversations you had. Please talk about that.
3: Well, he he died of cancer in the long run, which was just a few months ago. And there was a lot of back and forth about how to treat his, his cancer. And at one point, he was in an active treatment hospital, but he hated it there because he was away from his friends and away from his familiar uh, caregivers and away from the roles that he liked to play as part of the residence council and part of the... Teeth. And as I was with him, I talked with him a great deal about why it was important for him to go back and whether or not it was more important for him to go back than to get the active care that he was receiving in the active treatment hospital. and. After about 10 days or so, he decided just to leave. And he packed up and left. And I took him back.
2: That was caregiving in a way that supported him. Um, you gave him a reason to do something, make a decision about himself. Um that was going to give him that sense of living out the last few days of his life or the last days of his life in a way that was most satisfactory, most pleasurable to him, and one in which you felt was also important. Is that right? Well, I like to think
3: not that I gave him the decision, but that I gave him the context, the conversation, so that we held that conversation over a period of 8 or 10 days and I felt that my role was not to make the decision but to make sure he could have the uh, all the information and the context like what was bothering him and what he hoped to achieve and what were some of the strategies he could use and making sure he was comfortable and not making the decision just because he didn't feel well, those sorts of things, so that in the end, the decision was fully his.
2: Fully his, after he considered all the angles, all the questions, and all the information that you'd helped him get. Is that right?
3: Myself and other people as well. But Thank I you. felt that it was my role to keep the conversation going until he was sure.
2: Right. Now, talking of keeping conversations going, Judith, it's time <laughs> for us to take our break. So I'm going right. to do... We're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Judith Snow. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CGMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River.
0: Please stay with us. We're coming back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America.
4: Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines?
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Judith Snow. Our topic is legacies and family caregiving. Now, let's talk more about legacies and expectations. So, Judith, first off, please tell us what are legacies in the way that you see them, At what stages of life are they relevant, and how are they affected by expectations? Judith? Well, it seems that
3: most people, if not all people, have some part of their life that they're living where that part will carry on after they die. And that's their legacy. So somebody might be interested in the growing an orchard, for example, and that those trees will live past the time that that person actually plants and grows them. That would be their legacy. Or uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, if you uh, accumulate money and pass that on to somebody else, that's a legacy. Well, there are also legacies of um, projects or purposes. So uh, in my life, I hope to leave a powerful. Legacy around uh, the participation of people with all diverse abilities and cultures and lifestyles. In other words, I have always lived my life around the idea that every uh, ability or capacity that you have is a gift and a contribution. And you should be supported to make that contribution. And that's the legacy that I got from my father. He was the one that first implanted that idea in my head when I was about six years old.
2: Now, that leads me to just ask you, what are the stages of life? that legacies are relevant? Is it just towards the end of life, when the end of life is looming, or are legacies important at other times of life?
3: Well, I imagine it's different for different people. But I think that the beginning of your legacy is there at a very early age as you begin to decide who you're going to be in life and what kind of uh, role you're going to play in the world, you're also developing that pathway, which will extend past your physical life.
2: Right. Now, you mentioned your father's legacy and, and, you know, the things he did to achieve it. Please tell us more about your father's legacy and how was passed on to you? My father
3: had a very strong belief in citizenship. And what he meant by that was that everybody plays a role in developing the society that they're part of. And as a younger man, even though he worked full-time, and had four kids, and one of those kids had a severe disability. In spite of that, he still was very active in the uh, Recreation Association and in the church. And my mother also was active in the Victorian Order of Nurses and in the church. So that what they were expressing, and my father in particular, was that you build the society you're part of. You don't just receive from it, you also build it. And in his 90s, my father took on creating a retirement home that was the best retirement home that it could be. So he worked on research projects to improve care for elderly people, and he created a new game for them to play in their home. And he sat on the residence council and learned all the policies that the staff had to um, inform to in order to support them to do their job better.
2: Judith, sorry to interrupt you. Just a quick question. Did you say that your father was 90 when he was doing these things?
3: Yes. He passed away at age 93, and he lived in that place. For about seven years, so it was literally in his late 80s and up to his mid-90s that he was doing these things, and it was all based in his idea that a person is a citizen, and whatever context they're in, whatever their circumstances, they still have a role to play in making that context a better one for everybody.
2: Now, I want to ask you about expectations for legacies, but I want them you to relate your answer to expectations for people who are old or who have disabilities. And when they either go into long-term care to live out their lives, or they decide to live out their lives at home. What are the expectations that society, people like, you know, me, and the people who are listening to this um, this show, what are the expectations they have for those people?
3: Judith? Well, in contrast, um, when my grandmother, my mother's mother was in her late 80s and 90s, she would say over and over again, now that my husband is dead, I'm just waiting to die. And I've been in a number of situations where I've gotten to know older people uh, pretty well, and I've often heard that statement. There's nothing left for me. I'm just waiting to die. And on top of that, the focus of the medical profession uh, is often very, very heavily uh, based on um, physical support and medical care. And when it's like that, all you hear about is what's wrong with you and what treatments you need. And you can very, very much get the impression that even though you are somewhat vulnerable, that means there's nothing for you to give back or nothing for you to do that really matters in your life. Like I've met one young man man quite recently who lives on a respirator. And he lives in a long-term care situation. And he's bored, extremely bored, and the only thing he can find to do is to gamble online. Whereas if he had better support in his context, he could maybe be even running a little business or getting out of the place with good personal care to do something more important to the rest of society than gamble. And i see other people with quadriplegia who are not getting very good support turned to doing things like creating computer viruses which, of course, is a criminal activity. But nobody is encouraging or supporting these people to do something of more use to the rest of society. So you're very able, intelligent people with good education who are turning to bad kinds of activities Simply because nobody in their life is supporting them to be a contributing adult in our society,
2: Judith. You and I are talking right now using the internet, using information technology, and, and we're having a great conversation. Um, you, the two examples you gave us of people with challenges, who are fulfilling their lives, doing something that you think would, could be done more usefully, but nevertheless, they're using computers. So it seems to me, and I'm, this is really a quick question to you, that computers offer a lot of hope to people <laughs> whose challenges are great, but they can still use the computers to achieve things uh, in a way that gives them that sense of contributing. Do you agree with that?
3: Well, uh, yes, but Yes, and I think that's part of the the point, is that with people that get labeled disabled, we often surround them with good technology, like computers and excellent wheelchairs, uh, but we also segregate them in special education and very isolated living Circumstances so that person has no access to the regular world and the regular uh, kinds of contributions that they could be participating in using those same
2: technologies.
3: Right. Um, it drives me
2: crazy. We're going to talk about that, but that's a very clear message. It's where you live and how how connected you are with the community and not just the technology. That's crucial. Now, talking of that we have now to take our break so we're going to do that now this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Judith Snow you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River please stay with us we're coming back
1: out which guests are being featured this week read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts go to iradioblog.com today powered by the voice america talk radio network
4: ever wondered what private investigators really do and how they go about solving cases each week pi's declassified gives a glimpse into this little known world join your host francie Kaler, a noted private investigator in conversations with detectives and experts in the field False confessions, forensic evidence, finding missing persons, exposing fraud, exonerating the innocent, all areas that Francie and her guests will cover, and have they got stories to tell? Tune in and call in to the live show, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety.
0: If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Judith Snow. Our topic is Legacies and Family Caregiving. Now, Judith, I want to talk about legacies and how these can be passed on in ways that create positive expectations. And I guess it's the other way around, too, how positive expectations, you know, can lead to positive legacies. So I want to ask you the first question, which is, give us some examples of positive expectations that support legacies. Judith?
3: Well, where my dad lived, um, there's uh, a lot of information up in the place, including a big banner in the main, what they call the Main Street area, which is a large communal hallway, which is all about how the the place, the facility Is committed to person-centered, resident-centered support and of course we've all heard that kind of phrase at least for the last 15 years and sometimes people have no idea what that means but in this particular case uh, my dad was involved in a couple of different um, research projects put on by one of the universities and the Ministry of Health and this particular uh, facility. And um, but what they were up to was figuring out how to get me on just the medical. You know, it's a good thing, obviously, to make sure that people's health conditions are, are well looked after, but people need more than that. They need relationship, they need challenge, Uh, they need information, Um, all kinds of things in order to feel that they're able to be active and that their activity is valued and is going somewhere. And so it takes a different kind of organization of the help that people are getting, they don't just need pills and orange juice. You know, they need to have uh, information in a way that makes sense to them, and so much more. But I'm I'm really grateful and amazed at how this particular group of people figured it out and used my father's input as well as other people to make a better support system for the people who live in that place. Now, on the other hand, I think there's stuff that's still possible because a legacy isn't much good if there's nobody to pass it on to, you know. And one of the things that troubled me about this place where my dad and mom were was that uh there very few outside people got involved. So unless you were actually related to the people who lived there, you would never know about this place. And you would never would never know what interesting people lived inside those walls. And I wonder what our society could do to keep elderly people way more involved in what's going on so that younger people, including teenagers, got to know and got to be part of all that these people have built in their lives.
2: Right. Judith, um, this is leads me to challenge you Uh, you've received your dad's legacy it's been passed it on to you so how are you using that legacy to create positive expectations for elderly persons in long term care Judith well it's a
3: great question
2: see
3: I was very very focused on what it takes or people who get labeled disabled to be seen as full contributors and all the different aspects of that. But then, you know, a few years ago, I turned 60. And somehow that triggered for me a real shift in my own thinking. And I think that my dad was a part of that, too, because that was about the time when I realized I wanted to spend more time with him than I had been before. Anyway, like, the shift for me was that I realized that I'm going to get old. I never expected that. And I don't want to be stuck in this idea that all I'm doing is waiting to die. I spent my life not dying. I don't want to have that disappear now just because I reached a certain age. So the focus for me is shifting. Or I guess you could say it has shifted to the realization that elderly people, or people we call elderly, are really vulnerable to this idea that they have nothing left do or give. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer yet. I just have a real deep interest at this point, but I'm definitely taking it on as a kind of life project for myself to look at what it takes for us as elderly people to keep on being very active citizens.
2: Right. Now, another question. And this is relating to something that you say. You have a slogan, (laughs) Judith, and your slogan is, what you believe is what you get. What do you mean? Well, it's the same
3: thing that Henry Ford said. And I think Napoleon Hill as well. Basically, if you believe you can or if you believe you can't, you're right. (laughs) 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 it's all about how you approach life if you approach life like uh, you're sunk then you will be sunk right but if you approach life from the perspective that something is always possible then it's amazing what shows up and uh, another example of that is I don't know if you've heard this, but apparently people who get lost in the woods or, or a plane crashes, and they're waiting for several days or weeks to be uh, rescued. But those people who starve to death are often in the presence of food, or they die of thirst, and there's water really close to them. But the problem is they don't realize that it's food. Or they don't realize that it's water, if you get what I'm saying. So the things things that we need in life to be active and related and interesting and interested are there. But if we don't know that they're there, we don't access them. It's like that guy in the the hospital Mm -hmm. who's using it excellent brain to create computer viruses, he he literally has everything he needs to be a very uh, powerful, contributing person in the IT world, but he doesn't realize it because people aren't saying to him, hey, come on, guy, let's do something useful with all this stuff that you have. Instead, they're treating him as a very uh, sick and vulnerable person and surrounding him with a context where the only thing he can believe is that he's very, very ill.
2: Judith, are you saying then that in these kinds of circumstances, people maybe people like you, maybe others, maybe um, family caregivers, people, should be alive to the beliefs that their family members have. And where the beliefs are leading in a direction that isn't very productive, they should try to change the beliefs? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically.
3: I think we owe it to people to create the most... um Dynamic context that we can now, if a person decides that they're going to be a bump on the log anyway, well I, you know i don 't think you can force people to, to have a different attitude, but we can very we, we can definitely provide people with a context of belief an activity which says to them over and over again you're important and you need it now get on and do something useful and i think that that's a very very important aspect that sometimes or very often the medical community misses is that if they focus too much on what's wrong they cut the power out of people's ability to continue to feel like powerful contributing
2: adults So really by not recognizing the potential um, people who are faced with the challenges aren't been encouraged supported in achieving and fulfilling their abilities is that right
3: exactly
2: yeah now unfortunately our time for this particular segment has <laughs> come to an end so i've got to take the break again but we are going to talk about things in the next segment which need to be done so let's take the break This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Judith Snow. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
1: And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show, Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
4: Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life Goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world. Just by listening. Stimulating talk. Gets those synapses in
0: your brain firing really fast.
4: All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg.com at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Judith Snow. Our topic is legacies and family caregiving. Now, Judith, I want to talk you to talk about more things that you want to do and want to see done to help persons and their families with their legacies. So, first of all, what more do you want to do and see done generally to help persons and their family caregivers create legacies when they, persons and their families are confronted by the challenges created by disabilities of the kind you've been talking about? Judith, what are you going to do and what do you want to see done?
3: I think it's very important to focus on building supports that are person centered and that are also community-based. So that people who need support in order to participate in the world don't have to go into isolating circumstances. Um, So just just to to give an example, very, very many people who have a brain injury or who have a stroke in adulthood or something like that, end up in some kind of nursing home. And it really defeats the purpose of rehabilitation. Because there's nowhere for that person to uh, be challenged in a positive sense to get back into the condition or to learn newly how to live as a person with a permanent disability. Well, those people tend to languish in chronic care situations where they become very isolated and very, very bored and useless to themselves. I don't know if I'm making sense,
2: but... Yes, you you are. Carry on.
3: ...those kinds of supports that people need can just as easily and not more expensively be provided in regular community settings where you're getting your rehab training at the local gym along with other people who are running and... And using the treadmill and lifting weights and doing the kinds of things that people do to stay fit and to stay healthy. Or the personal assistance or the transportation or even the cognitive rehabilitation can be provided in ways that a person gets to go back to work, maybe with uh, a modified... Job role, or gets to be part of their home community in some other way that matters to them, and it keeps their their relationships and their ordinary activities in place.
2: Uh, now, and, sorry to interrupt you. Um, I just want to go to something you mentioned in the previous segment that is the medical profession's role and I want to ask you this question what more do you want to see done by the medical profession to help persons and their family caregivers create legacies in the sorts of circumstances you're talking about in other words what do you want my profession as it was to do more Judith uh medicine
3: often becomes the context in which everything else takes place. And it needs to be the other way around. So in other words, if you live in a long-term care home or retirement facility, um, everything will be uh, programmed around the schedules and needs of the medical part of it. Like when you're supposed to take your pills and what your diagnosis is supposed to be and what your treatment is supposed to be and all that. But actually, it can be, and I say should be, quite the other way around. So that if you, for example, are um, the champion bocce player in your community, then the medical people need to be thinking in terms of uh, what treatments will support this person to play bocce or what schedule of uh, support do we provide that doesn't interfere with the games and the exercises that are required to play bocce. Now, that may sound like... A little bit of a silly example, but I'm trying to use it in a simplistic sense to point out that really the focus needs to be, what is this person's gift? I was what are their gifts? And what are their contributions? Let's make them the center of our thinking and then provide everything else that's required Around
2: that, that's a new way of assessing what doctors call assessing the patient, isn't it? That's a new way, right, of looking at um, the ways in which care needs to be directed. Uh, and yeah. I think that's a very, very important suggestion because I don't—I certainly, in my medical training, that wasn't something that I ever understood. Maybe I didn't listen to the lectures, or maybe it wasn't <laughs> in the lectures. I now, I—last question for you. Yeah. Um, I want you to share your message, your personal message to families and family caregivers about legacies and expectations. Judith, what do you say to them?
3: Oh, I don't know that I can say more than what I've said. Um, I think that the central theme of what I'm saying is that every person has some part of their life which is a contribution, not just to them personally, but to the society as well. And some of those legacies May be very simple, but they're still very important. You know, whether it's like your your love of children or your um, appreciation of the opera, or you know, in my dad's case, his intense desire to make sure that the policies of the Ministry of Health lined up with the needs of the people who are living there, his fellow residents in this particular place, and that we need to be looking for and encouraging people to um, to keep focused on that contribution, because that is the source of what makes them a living and vibrant person. And if we don't encourage people to keep their legacy alive, then they're going to get stuck. I'm saying they're going to get stuck in this idea that they don't have anything more to do or to give in life. And that's very debilitating, not only for them, but for everybody around them as well.
2: And it's also a waste, isn't it, of abilities and contribution that people can make. And so what I think I'm getting from you is that a legacy is about making a contribution and also creating expectations that contributions can be made. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. So I want Mm -hmm. to say, first of all, thank you, Judith. And I want to say something else to you, and that is that your insights and your experience and your advice add up to a very powerful message which needs to be heard. It needs to be heard by family caregivers and people with challenges of the kind you've been talking about, but it needs to be heard by the healthcare system, by doctors, and by others. and It also needs to be heard by the educational system to recognize that uh, what we should be doing is maximizing the opportunity, the potential of people to fulfill their abilities. So, Judith, thank you. Now, I also want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Now, our next episode is titled, I am only a mom caring for autism. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you there. Thank you
1: again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.